Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Defining the Kingdom was given by Bill Dogtrum and is the 11th in our series, The Kingdom. We are um, continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark today. So we'll be uh, beginning in chapter 2 and uh, looking at... uh, from verse 23 through uh, chapter 3, verse 6. But the question I I, want to kind of start off with, uh, whether it's friendship, marriage, dating relationships, what comes first for you? Rules or relationship? We want desperately, time after time after time, to say relationship comes first. And that out of that, then, there are some some markers that indicate how we preserve those relationships. But how many of you have noticed how easy it is to start to attend more to the rules than to pouring in life at the center of the relationship? Right? Um, So uh, that's what's going on in the text that we look at this morning. Uh, we, we, We have people who have expectations of how things ought to be. And when somebody comes along and disturbs their sense of how things ought to be uh, and threatens their kind of control over the defining mechanism of how things ought to be, um, they, get, they get angry. And that's the story that we're going to look at this morning. The question is, is the kingdom of God defined first by rules or by relationship? Does life come from the center and find expression in how things are, or does life get defined by the parameters of it, by the edges of it, by the boundaries of it? And I think you know where I'm going to go with this, uh, and I may have given away my best point uh, by telling you up front where I'm going with this, but I think it's important to kind of read this story uh, that we'll look at this morning, two stories, two individual incidences that say the same thing. That's why I think Mark has collapsed them together. So look with me. Mark chapter 3, verse 23. It came about that Jesus was passing through grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples, as they were walking through, began to uh, make their way along while picking heads of grain. Along came then the Pharisees, who were saying to him, See here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need? He became hungry. He and his companions, how how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he gave it also to those who were with him. He was saying to them then, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So then he entered again into a synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand. They were watching him, Jesus that is, to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Rise, come forward. He said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. 
after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began to take counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. It's an amazing story. Uh, It's easy for us. How many of you would really like, a hundred years from now, for people to know what they know about you through the eyes of your enemies? No, No volunteers? You, 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 want, you want your friends to tell your story, right? You, you, you want people who know you and love you to be the ones who are the chief reporters of your story. Here's the problem. We only know about the Pharisees through what their enemies wrote about them. So if we could put ourselves into the first century, into this time, the view of the Pharisees is rather different than our view of them looking through the lens of people who they butted heads with, right? The Pharisees were the ones who helped define what Judaism was going to be, how it was going to find its expression. In fact, if there were not Pharisees, there would no longer be a kind of Judaism that we recognize today. Because by the time we move 40 years from this event to 70 A.D., Um, And the Romans come in and totally annihilate Jerusalem, knock down the temple, and end the temple system of Judaism. It is the Pharisees who redefine what Judaism is for the next 2,000 years. And in fact, their work, their writing, are still used extensively and exclusively in the Talmud, the Mishnah, uh, the Talmuds and the Mishnah, that, that define what rabbinic Judaism is that you'll find in Orthodox or, or conservative Judaism um, uh, today. So, as Jesus comes in contact with them, please notice, these are the guys that you would want to serve on your boards of directors. These are the guys that you would, you would give your resources to because they could be, in, in, in your understanding, could be trusted. If you had a question about whether what you were proposing to do would be a violation of what God had called you to do, you would go to the Pharisees and they would help you negotiate your life according to their understanding of the rules and the laws of God. Very helpful kinds of people, right? It's like having an attorney on retainer. That if you have a question mark about a property line or a dispute and an employment issue or so on and so forth, you would make your phone call to those guys and they would help you stay out of trouble. And not just trouble with the authorities, but trouble with, with God. How many would like somebody like that to, to, to keep you out of trouble? Yeah? Some of you need it and you didn't raise your hands. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so, so here's, that's the scenario, right? Now here's the problem. What first begins as protection quickly becomes about power. What first begins as a way of defining priorities quickly becomes about who has say over defining the priorities. So the question is, who gets to define what the kingdom of God is? 
And that's where we pick up this story. The Pharisees were experts at defining how God ought to come, how Messiah should come, what he should do, what he should look like. And then comes onto the scene Jesus, and he is in direct conflict with their understanding of how Messiah should come. He is in direct conflict with their understanding of the nature of the kingdom of the heavens. For them, the kingdom of the heavens was defined primarily by who's in and who's out, and who's in and who's out was defined by adherence to the rules, and guess who were the rule keepers? Guess who were the definers of the rules? And Jesus comes in and he says, the kingdom of God is not about rules, it's about relationship. The kingdom of God is not about regulations, it's about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about joy. You can imagine why there might be a little bit of tension there. So here's the scenario. Uh, their task was to protect and purify Judaism because they believed if they got Judaism right, then Messiah would come and their troubles would be over. That was the belief. If we, if, 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 if we get it right, and in fact there are numerous scenarios um, uh, that say if Israel repents for one day, Messiah will come. That was their understanding. If we get it right, then Messiah will come and will be free. So they viewed their, their mission as, as, as of critical importance. I'm cutting in and out, aren't I? Are you, are you, some, are you doing okay? okay? Okay, so it could be just my voice too. I'm battling this, this thing that's, uh, that's coming along. So here's the scenario. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field on the way. The disciples grab a head of, of grain, rub it in their hands, and pop it in their mouths. So they're, they're just they're, 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 they're snacking on the way. They're hungry. They've been maybe in a long journey. We don't know exactly where they're coming from, but they've been on a long journey. Now, Pharisees see this, and because it's on a Sabbath, and what they are doing constitutes a harvesting, it falls under the classification, some 600 different rules and sub-rules, that govern behavior on the Sabbath. It is a violation of Sabbath to do any form of work, right? And so they asked Jesus, as this new rabbi in town, because that's what they're trying to figure out. We're still fairly early in his ministry. They're trying to figure out, is this a legit guy or not? Is this somebody who, who, who we can authenticate? Can we give him the good housekeeping seal of approval? So his disciples are coming along, and Jesus doesn't reprimand them for breaking Sabbath law, as a good rabbi ought to do. Instead, they say to him, um, why don't you uh, rebuke them? Why are they doing what is lawful, not lawful on the Sabbath? Verse 24. Then verse 25. Jesus said to them in, in a form of story, Have you never read what David did? King David, paradigmatic king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, right? Haven't you read what he did when he was hungry and his followers were hungry? He entered into the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat but the priests. Now, what made it okay for him to do that? And the answer, he was hungry. Hunger supersedes rules. Do you see the argument that he's, he's making there? So he says, here's the conclusion, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is, that, Sabbath is God's gift 
to you. It, 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 you are, are to enter into it. It is a life of liberty. Um, a few weeks ago, or a couple months ago now, when we were talking through the ten words, remember? And we got to that, that fourth commandment. We talked about Sabbath. How many of you began to see it perhaps in a new way? That Sabbath is not about restricting life. It's about learning to live. We're built for one day and seven to do no work. And Jesus gets now, the truth is, the Pharisees kind of get that too. But their problem is, they're more focused, and this is inevitably going to happen, on the edges of Sabbath rather than the center of Sabbath. And so Sabbath becomes about the five or six hundred rules and regulations that govern it, in which they were all experts, instead of the very purpose for which it exists in the first place, rest recreation, prayer, play, relationships, family. And Jesus is just simply saying, if my guys can't go through the field and pull off a head of wheat, rub it in their hands, and pop it in their mouth because they're hungry, because it violates Sabbath, something's wrong with your Sabbath. Because Sabbath was not made... I mean, we were not made to keep the rules of Sabbath. Sabbath was made to enable us to live fully and freely. So that's just a... Now, Jesus, by the way, is not the only one who's pushing back on the Pharisees about this. There are other teachers at the same time who are saying roughly the same thing. Right? So Jesus is not so far in any deep trouble. He just has an alternate understanding of how Sabbath works. Jesus, however, can't leave well enough alone. Right? So... so Here's this next verse that really starts to tick everybody off. You see it, verse 27, Sabbath was not made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Verse 28, now, consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, back up a little bit. Darren uh, walked us through this, kind of getting us back in track uh, last week with this, with this sermon. Uh, Son of Man is favorite designation for himself. It's how he refers to himself. So it's as if he were saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? So first of all, he says, man is, is built to enter into the freedom of Sabbath. Sabbath is given to us as gift. It's created for us. And I, son of man, the paradigmatic man, John, Mark is using this theological, and Lord of the Sabbath. Now, you can see where this is not going to win him any brownie points with, with the, the Pharisees, because they consider themselves to be arbiters of the Sabbath. And what is Jesus saying? I'm the one that defines the nature of Sabbath. I am the one that defines the nature of God's rest. I am the one that determines how this works. So, right away, we got some tension beginning to build, all right? So, here's where the second story comes in. Verse 1. Entered again into a synagogue. Now, I want you to notice this scenario. A man was there with a withered hand. Now, here's a problem. That man was not supposed to be there. People with deformities of one kind or another were restricted from access on Sabbath to synagogue and temple. 
because of their deformity. Right? Now, truthfully, only the, the Old Testament only specifies temple and the place of worship as a place of restriction. But they had expanded that to the synagogues over which they had authority and over which they had control. So here's Jesus. Now, I, I love this. I, I love watching who is at the top of his game play with people who think they're at the top of their game. You, you get that? Because here's he's in the center, and he sees a guy there with a withered hand. How did that guy get there? Verse 2 tells us, they, the Pharisees, were watching him to see if he would heal the guy on Sabbath so that they might have cause to accuse him. Those dirty dogs! How did that guy get there? You know how they got him there. They are setting Jesus up. You you seeing how the scenario is unfolding, right? Because they know Jesus is a sucker for people with withered hands and broken hearts and lives that are leaking at the edges and people with leprosy, and people with blindness, and people who can't walk. Jesus is an open, bleeding wound of love for people like that. So they're setting him up. You can just see them wringing their hands. We got him. His heart is going to give him away. We can accuse him, and everything will be right and good again. The threat to Sabbath will have been pushed back. And the kingdom will be protected. I just, I just love this. I love this. How many of you know how that feels? Yeah? It's just like, oh, 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 this is not going to turn out well. Right? So, scenario. And unfortunately, they're dealing with Jesus here, so he figures out what's going on. Notice what he does. He says to the poor guy with the withered hand, Come, stand right here. And then he looks around and asks them this rabbinic question. Remember, Jesus is positioning himself right now as a rabbi whose yoke, whose teaching is rest, is life, is liberty, right? So he asks them this question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? And he asks the question in exactly the form that an inquirer would ask of the Pharisees. So they might come to a Pharisee and say, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to go so many yards or so many miles or so... so when does a journey constitute work, for example. So he is using, I just love this, because he's using their language. And, and their trap is all of a sudden, you know, I mean, the rat is approaching the cheese. Right? They get it. They make the guy, and you can almost see them salivating. Right? With, well, they wouldn't really do that, but, but kind of mentally, right? It's like, okay, 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 now just be calm. Just wait, wait, watch, watch, watch. Okay, soon as he, soon as, soon as, soon as he touches him, we got him. 
Is it lawful, you experts, you geniuses in the kingdom, you rulers of how things ought to be, is it lawful to, let me think, well, let's say do good or do harm. Now notice, you can start to feel the shift in the room. Because all they needed him to do was to what? All he needed to do was to do nothing. In fact, there will be another story in which the Pharisees will say to somebody who actually got healed, excuse me, I know you were healed, but you should have come on Monday. What? That's, that's the mentality, right? Is it wrong to do, is it right to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to to destroy. Now they're stuck. The trap that they so carefully constructed for Jesus has in a moment, and they're not quite yet sure how it happened, but sprung on them. Because how can they answer that question? On Sabbath, is it right to do good? If we say yes, we're stuck. If we say no, we're stuck. How did he do that? Right? We are hoisted aloft on our own petard. Right? I love that image. Sorry. Shakespeare. Read Shakespeare. Anyway, um, so here he comes into this scenario. They kept silent. Why? Because they were unable to answer. And now I want you to notice Jesus' reaction. Verse 5. He looked around at them with anger. I hope you have a Jesus who can get angry. The fire is coming out of his eyes. The smoke is coming out of his ears. He is beginning to vibrate. This is a strong word. This is the strongest word Mark will ever use to describe this emotional, this visceral. He is almost shaking with anger not at them for their misunderstanding, but in the fact that what God intended for good had been ruled and regulated to death, literally, for the people who would come otherwise. And for what purpose? Look at it. Verse 5. Grieved, heartbroken at their hardness of heart. They were so set on rules and regulations they no longer understood Sabbath was life-giving. They had made it death-dealing by their rules and regulations. So they say nothing. He is angry. He is heartbroken. He is grieved. And then I love this. It's almost like the, 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 the miracle itself, which follows here, is, is, is secondary because it's, it's just so, such a minor occurrence for everybody but the guy with the withered hand. Right? Because look at what happens. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, can you hear the pin drop as he's looking around? Can you feel the air get sucked out of the room? He said to the man, and I love this, stretch out your hand. And between the time the man's hand was at his side and the time that it had been stretched out, it was no longer withered. 
Now here's this game set match moment. Who healed him? Nobody touched him. Nobody said, be healed. Jesus didn't spit on his hand or make mud cakes. He's done that in other places, right? What did he do? Well, let's check this hand out. Apparently, there's no problem. Have a nice day. <laughs> so they are, they, 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 even the trap that they set won't work. Do, do, do you see? It's like, how did he, how did he, how did he do that? Where is the pea under which shell? What is he doing here? Right? And I love this reaction because Mark has a, has a deliberate set. Every time a miracle occurs, pay attention to how people respond to it because there is a definite form that Mark builds for us. You have a set setting. You have a conflict that's set up. Somebody is sick or nature miracle, uh, things, uh, storms or whatever, right? Then Jesus does the miracle, and then there's supposed to be honor, praise, and glory being given to God because they get that this is a sign that God is in the house. What's the response this time? It says, verse 6, The Pharisees then went out, and immediately began to take counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Rather than praise, glory, honor, celebration, being lifted up to God that a man who had come in ineligible for worship now could raise his whole hand in praise and glory to God, they were what? Trying to figure out <clears throat> how to kill the guy how to do damage to the guy who enabled him to stand safe in the presence of God. They didn't get it. So concerned were they with the violation of their rules and regulations that they missed the whole point of real relationship. Now, aren't you glad <clears throat> that we don't have to worry about that today? Or do we? What we're dealing with here is, in sociological terms, called the difference between a bounded set and a centered set. A bounded set defines by establishing boundaries. And boundaries in most human relationships are determined by rules and regulations. They're the fences that keep and define relationships. The Pharisees were experts at the bounded set, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. The contrast to that is a centered set which is so confident in the power of relationship that it lets people be drawn in rather than spending time defining what's out. Alan Hirsch uses the illustration in one of his books, I think it's Forgotten Ways, in which he talks about the difference uh, in terms of sheep herders in Australia. That in, in many other countries of the world, sheep or cattle are, are, are kept in a fenced pasture. That's a bounded set, right? But in Australia, <clears throat> the land is so massive 
and the vegetation so far spread out that it, it is impossible to fence the thousands of acres that would be required to maintain control over one's cattle herd. So instead, they dig a well in the center of the field, knowing that their cattle will be drawn to the water. They don't need to worry about defining the edges. Now, doesn't that sound like the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees? They're trying to define the nature of the kingdom by establishing and proliferating rules and regulations about what behaviors and what attitudes and what beliefs and what practices get us to a place where we can define whether you are in or you are out. And Jesus just says, come to the water. Come to the water. We'll sort it all out later. Right now, come to the water. Come to the center of life. Come to, to the joy and the righteousness that is the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is not saying here that sin doesn't matter. He's just saying that our rules about a lot of things don't matter. I grew up as uh, I was talking to a friend uh, here before the service, and it just occurred to me again, um, I grew up in a, in, a, in a Pentecostal church in southern Alberta that was a holiness tradition, and so we believed that people who drank and smoked and went to bars, and, and there were, we were debating about bowling alleys, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, because they had bars in them, That those people, if, 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 if they weren't going to hell, they were on a banana peel heading downhill in that direction. So where did the majority of our energy get spent as kids growing up? Labeling who was in and who was out. I just find it amazing in the, in the, in the, in the sense of humor of God that I am working in partnership with a church that has Bible study in a tavern on Thursday night. I just think that's amazing. And what's the difference? And I, those were good people. They weren't mean, nasty people. They were just trying to say, how do we get a handle on this culture that seems out of control? How do we, how do we help people not blow themselves up in relationships that are damaging? How, how do we help people negotiate a relationship with alcohol that doesn't result in the destruction of their souls. I, I get where they were going. I really do. And there are times when I long in some ways to simply say to somebody, yes, this behavior, no, not. And there are some that we can do that. You, you, you shouldn't be sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you're married to them. There's all, all kinds of reasons for that. And I can unpack that for you if, if you want to. But at the end of the day, that's going to be damaging to you. However, you're not going to define health and relationships by defining who you sleep with and who you don't sleep with. You'll define health and relationships by life from the center that is love-oriented. You see what I mean? So Jesus invites us. And by the way, I'm wondering if some of us here are dealing with our sin that same way. We are establishing all kinds of rules. We're establishing all kinds of ways of controlling behavior, never once dealing deeply with the character that produces the behavior. 
Paul is very clear on this. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will finally deal death to the works of the flesh. If you come to Jesus, if you are filled with his spirit, if you come to the water, then out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You won't need to worry about the edges of behavior. Life will flow from the center out. That's the nature of the kingdom that we are part of. Amen? Um, Mickey and, and, and Jesse and the team are going to come and, and we're going to spend a few minutes uh, in, in preparation here. Um, in a few minutes, we're going to invite you. We don't do this every Sunday in this way, uh, but Darren has felt, and, and I just resonate so deeply with what uh, the Spirit is speaking to him, that we need to create some space around the tables of the Lord for communion today. This is a symbol of life from the center. We're not going to define who gets to partake today. It's a symbol of life from the center. Right? But before we get there, I'm thinking that there maybe are some of us, and, and I really want to focus this in two ways. One, who have defined yourself as opposed to others by rules and regulations. And as you have heard, Jesus has spoken to your heart and said, cut that out. They are my business, whoever they are. You fall deeply, passionately, truly in love with me, and I will take care of your family. I will take care of the people that you define as in or out. Your life will vibrate with life, and they will be drawn like moths to flame to the center. But then secondarily, I'm wondering if there are some of us here who have been wrestling with sin and we have been doing it with rules and regulations and we have been failing and not just failing to deal with sin but creating a scenario of shame in our hearts which disables us even further. Because that's what happens when you break the rules, isn't it? And today you've heard Jesus say to you, Invite me into this. Invite me into the shame. Invite me into the, into the sin. Invite me into the behavior. I want to change who you are at the center so that these things will just fall off like leaves off the trees. Can you do that? Can you do that? Jesus, can you really do that? And he says to us, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. So I'm going to ask you to take a risky move today. If you're here and that has spoken to you in, in those ways, and maybe other ways too, I'm just going to ask you in a second just to stand right where you are. We want to pray for you. We want to pray that the Holy Spirit of the living God will flood your hearts, minds, souls, and spirit so that life begins to flow out from the center. You stop living a parasitic Christianity that is dependent on all of these externals to know who you are. And life flows from the center. 
It may be that um, as we are in sanctuary in this place this morning, um, that you are feeling drawn to pray with people who are not standing. I just want to free up the body of Christ for some ministry here this morning. All right? Uh, and just go and pray with whomever you wish to. And, 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 and please, if you're a guest or a visitor with us, uh, I, I hope you're not freaked out by this. But this is, this is a, a church that really believes that the Holy Spirit of the living God speaks and works in magnificent, soul-shaping, life-changing ways. And we want you to be part of that. Um, in a couple of minutes, uh, we'll just release you to the tables of the Lord. Here's something I'm going to ask. Don't go by yourself. Take somebody with you. Take a stranger, take a friend, take a loved one, and just break bread together. All right? We'll come back and we'll dismiss you. Either Mickey will or I will in a couple of minutes. But if you're here and we can pray for you, let's just, um, can, will you take this step of faith and courage and just stand right where you are right now? Let's just, uh, and, if, and as soon as you see somebody standing around you, got some folks at the back there and over here, would you please move quickly and, 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 and just gently and carefully uh, pray for those folks. Ask them if they wish to share, they can. If they don't want to, that's fine too. Uh, but let's just pray for one another for a few minutes. Anybody else, just stand right where you are. We want to take a few minutes. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the Garden, or if you would like to find out more about the Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.